chapter 8, verse 1, or you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app this morning as well. And while you're turning there, um, just kind of want to talk about where we were last week in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We talked about what is known as the Shema, and the Shema is the, uh, the greatest commandment. And that is, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And we talked about what that means. It means to love God with your whole person, with everything that you are, with everything that is within you, uh, with everything that you have, with your muchness, with all of your opportunities and all of your abilities, with your whole entire person. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart all of your soul, all of your might. And we talked about not only do we need to think about the, those words, that commandment, we need to etch it into our heart. We need to uh, focus on it and think about it and you know, hide it away so that whenever we're going through anything, good or bad, it's, it's there that we remember the Lord our God and that we love him with everything that we are. And we're to teach that. One of the best ways to learn something and to think about something is to teach it. And, you know, he says, teach it to your kids. Teach it to your kids so that they would know these words, that they would know to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, with all their soul, with all of their might. And make it an example. You know, kids pay attention. They pay attention to what's going on around them, and they're learning from someone. Who are they learning from, and what are they learning and so, remembering that great commandment. But this morning, we are going to fast forward over to chapter 8. And Fulton Sheen once said that humility is dependence on God as pride is independence of Him. The humble soul is always the thankful soul. And this morning in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, we find, or we listen in to Moses talking to the Israelites and He's recounting the desert, the wilderness, the, this 40 years. And, you know, if you ever watch the show, The A-Team, you might remember the, I love it when a plan comes together. Um, it's amazing to see something like the wilderness and, you know, what was a, a moment of, you know, consequence and discipline for a previous generation now is a blessing in disguise for a new generation. It's a new gen, it's a, a form of discipline, it's a form of learning that's a blessing in disguise. And our text this morning shows why it's so important that they remember the one who provides, the one who leads and guides and directs their lives. And as we listen in to Moses telling the people about the wilderness and, and why everything that happened in the wilderness would be so important to their future, I think there's great reminders here for us as well. And so we're going to look at what Moses is telling the Israelites. And like I said, I think we'll see that there's some important things for us to remember here as well. So we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 8, and it says this, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And so verse 1 is kind of setting the tone, and it's this reminder that what they were going to do was going to take obedience and faith. They were going to have to listen to what God told them to do. 
He's reminding the people that the, the life and fertility, the inhabiting of this promised land, all of this wasn't going to just be handed over to them. They were going to have to be obedient and listen. And the text says they needed to be careful to do what God was telling them to do. The definition for the word careful it means giving a lot of attention to what you are doing so that you do not have an accident, make a mistake, or damage something. And so the people needed to pay close attention to what God was asking them to do so that they would not make a mistake, that they would not you know, do something they weren't supposed to be doing. They needed to be careful to follow God's instructions. And then we go into verse 2, and it says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. And so now Moses transitions to talking about this time that they would spend in the wilderness. And as we talked about, it was a, a time of consequence for a previous generation, but this time it was going to be a blessing in disguise for these people, this next generation. How so? Well, we see here they, they were going to remember these, these 40 years and how God led them, and he says that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And this would humble the people, and it would test what was in their heart. He wanted to test the spiritual condition of the people, would they trust God and obey him? Or would they do what they would normally do, the previous generation would normally do, and complain and gripe about what they had, what God had given them, or what they, what they feel they lacked? They had two choices. They could trust him and obey, or they could speak against him. And too often, that previous generation would fail the test. And so he was going to humble their hearts. He was going to teach them humility. And how was he going to do this? Well, it says that he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. He let the people hunger because it proved to them that they could not live without God's provision. Without God's provision, there was no way they would be able to survive. And so they needed food. And so what did he do? He provided manna. For the people, and this reason for the manna was to teach the people that the source of life was God and His words. They had manna because He commanded it. Had He not commanded it, they wouldn't have manna. They would continue to hunger, and so it wasn't the manna that was keeping them fed, it was God who was keeping them fed. It was God Himself providing what they needed. And this phrase, you know, that they would learn that they can't just live on bread alone. We see Jesus referring back to this in Matthew 4, 3 through 4. When being tempted by Satan, he replies, 
Matthew 4, 3 through 4, he says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus knew that the stones were not to be used for food, and he also knew that God would provide the food for him that he would need without him needing to make a miracle happen. And it's kind of interesting when you look in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus makes the comment in verse 9, or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? You see, God provided for them by his words. He provided them manna. He provided what they needed. And we see this in our text as well. God provided clothes that would not tear. He provided water that the people would need to drink. He provided strength for them to continue on in this journey. Their foot never would swell. It didn't swell in this, these 40 years. And really what we get at here, it says in verse 5, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. He was disciplining the people so that they would learn humility. And I think that's the first thing that we need to think about from this text is that God disciplines us for our good. God disciplines us for our good. And the people had dealt in unbelief for so long and now God was going to discipline them for the sake of teaching them humility, reminding them that they needed him. They needed him for provision. They needed him for strength. They needed him for everything. And they needed that discipline. And we need discipline. Now, let's be honest. Nobody in here likes discipline. I mean, none of us wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I am looking forward to the discipline I'm going to receive today. If you do, well, okay. But most people don't wake up in the morning and say, man, I cannot wait for discipline. I can't wait. Let's see. We know discipline is a thing. Discipline is a thing. Just as for a kid who does what they shouldn't do and their mom or dad has to discipline or a employer has to discipline an employee, discipline is a thing. And so God also disciplines us. God disciplines. A matter of fact, here's a, the truth. If God is not disciplining us, then we have a lot to worry about. Hebrews 12, 5 through 8 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Part of being a son of God, a, a child of God, is receiving discipline. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us that we should consider discipline as a blessing. Psalm 94, 12 through 13, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from the days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. It's a blessing to be disciplined. We need discipline more than we realize. And sometimes discipline takes various forms. Sometimes, as our text shows this morning, discipline is done for training in righteousness making the people rely on and depend on God. 
Sometimes the truth is God approves and uses our hardships, our trials, as a form of discipline to teach us in that moment righteousness. Sometimes God approves and uses our hardships at work, at home, and life in general to teach us humility. Look at Paul. In 2 Corinthians 11, he goes through all of the various trials and, and struggles that he went through. But we know Paul and how each and everything that he went through helped to build his faith and strengthen his faith. Look at Job and how Job went through all the trials that he went through and how God used those trials to teach Job. Sometimes God is using the storms of life to teach us and train us to be righteous. And sometimes the discipline of God takes the form that is meant to be corrective as when we sin, to help us take the right paths and not the wrong paths. In Psalm 38, David read Psalm 51, and he was talking about how all these sins this, that he had committed with Bathsheba and you know, having her husband killed and all these things, and he's coming. In Psalm 38, David writes about discipline he was facing. It says this in Psalm 38, 1 through 4, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. You see, David is acknowledging his sin and that God is just in his punishment, but he's acknowledging also that when he looks at God's discipline, he is overwhelmed with the discipline, and it's too much for him to bear. And Charles Spurgeon once paraphrased Psalm 38, and he paraphrased it like this. He said, Rebuked I must be, for I am an erring child, and though a careful father, but throw not too much anger into the tones of thy voice. Deal gently, although I have sinned grievously. The anger of others I can bear, but not thine. Chasten me if thou wilt. It is a father's prerogative, and to endure it obediently is a child's duty. But, oh, turn not the rod into a sword. Smite not so as to kill. True, my sins might well inflame thee, but let thy mercy and long suffering quench the glowing coals of thy wrath. Let me not be treated as an enemy or dealt with as a rebel. Bring to remembrance. Bring to remembrance thy covenant, thy fatherhood, and my feebleness, and spare thy servant. Now, reading that and reading what David said, it doesn't make it sound like discipline is a blessing. It makes it sound overwhelming. It makes it sound heartbreaking. But see, sometimes... God's discipline is heavy. There's consequences for our sins, and on top of that, God's discipline is heavy. But it's still a blessing. And I'll tell you why it's a blessing. 1 Corinthians 11.32, But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The reason his discipline is so heavy sometimes is because we need that. We need that heavy discipline to remind us not to be like the rest of the world. We need that heavy discipline to teach us what is right, to walk in the paths that God wants us to walk down. Ultimately, you see, God disciplines us because he loves us. 
He disciplines us because he loves us, because he wants us to grow in our faith, to help us make the right decisions and to take the right paths. But there's something that we need to remember right here. There's a difference between God disciplining us and God condemning us. He disciplines us because he loves us, but we do not stand condemned before him because of his mercy that he's poured on us. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we see in verse 6 that as a result of this, the people would learn, they would get it into their mind, they would learn to follow and to listen to the commandments and decrees of the Lord. And then we go into verse 7, and it says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And so Moses here, he flips things around. We were just talking about the desert, the wilderness, 40 years of all the things they were going through to teach them humility, the discipline they were facing, and now he kind of flips it around, and now he's going to talk about, here's what you are going to receive. Here's the promised land that is in front of you, and the blessings that are going to come with inheriting this new land. I mean, they would have water, it would be needed for growing crops and sustaining human and animal life. And how many times were they crying out to God for water? It would have agricultural produce, wheat and barley, fruits like figs and pomegranates, oil from olive trees and honey. There would be minerals, iron and copper. They would truly have it better than they had in Egypt. And the times they were wandering in the wilderness, they would have they would have it good. They would lack for nothing. And this is the kind of epitome of what we see in Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God was going to direct his people into this place where they would have everything they need if they would listen and obey. And there's a reason he mentions this. We go to verse 10. And it says, And you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought, your, or brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. 
Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so we see he flipped things around and there's a reason for it. And notice the words used throughout these verses. If you forget, lest you forget, remember. And the theme here is clear. Whereas the wilderness tested them to remember to trust and rely on God, the question is now, when you have this land, when you have what has been promised to you, when you have it, will you still remember to depend on him? Let's look at verse 10. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. He reminds the people that God deserves praise. When they receive this land, they are to praise him, to give him glory. He says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not remembering these commandments and his rules and his statutes. I think it's interesting. It's almost like praise is the answer to remembering, right? Like when we praise God, where's our focus? Where's our mind? Where's our thoughts? Where's our hearts? When we're praising God, it's on him. It's like he's giving them the answer to how to remember the Lord their God. Praise is the answer, whether it's in the storm or it is in the plenty, whether they were in the wilderness or whether they were in the promised land. God deserves praise. I don't know about you, but I notice for me that it seems like when I'm lacking a spirit of praise, when I'm not praising God, when I'm not giving God the glory that he deserves, how quickly my attentions turn off what God has called for me to do and what he wants for me and on other things. You notice that? The more we tend to take our praise away from God, it starts to make us forget what God has done in our lives. He wants us to listen and obey. And so we praise him and we do what he's asked us to do. And then he wants the people to remember, when you're eating good, and you have nice homes, and your animals, and all your wealth, and everything that you have has multiplied, when you have all of these things, remember the one who gave them to you. That's the question. When you have all of these things, are you going to remember or are you going to forget about the God who gave you these things? This God who gave you these things, this was the same God who brought you out of Egypt. It's the same God who brought you through the terrible wilderness. It's the same God that brought you through this wilderness that was filled with serpents and not water. It's the same God who brought you through all of these, who humbled you to learn, to have faith and that he would provide for you. Then verses 17 and 18 strike a chord. They were humbled in the desert so that they would remember that God provided for them. And so the question would be, once you have this good land, once you have what God has promised to you, are you going to give God his due? Or are you going to say, this was because of my power and my strength and because of what I have done? My blessings came because of me. Or will we say these blessings came from God? 
Again, he humbled them in the desert so that when they got to the promised land, they would be reminded that God had given them everything. I I heard this great quote this morning. It said, how you handle adversity will show how you will handle prosperity. How you handle adversity, how you choose to trust and obey and listen to God when you have little, when you are in the storm, when you are in the trial, will show how you will handle it when you are given much. They needed to remember that even in the plenty, they needed to depend on God. And there's another reason for this in verses 19 through 20. There's this warning. If you do not remember the Lord your God, you can turn to other gods and worship them instead. And this temptation to turn to false gods was there. And this just seemed to be a problem that the nation of Israel struggled with. Baal and Ashtoreth. False gods that would cause the Israelites misery several times over. And Moses reiterates to the people there's consequences for this. If they chose to worship false gods and idols, if they chose to put their faith in other gods instead of the one true God, they would perish like the nations around them that were about to perish. They needed to remember the Lord their God. And I don't, again, I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems the things that seem so simple are the things that we find ourselves struggling with so often. And I think this is a great example. We need to remember the Lord, your God. Remember the Lord, your God. Remember the Lord, our God. And I think so often we find ourselves in the same place as the Israelites. Lacking faith, lacking obedience, needing to be taught humility, the need to rely on him and remember what it is he has done for us. And we find ourselves forgetting about God's provision in our lives, in our times of trouble. He provided for us in our times of trouble, and then when everything seems good, it's all because of what I did. It's all because of what I did. It's my power, my strength. And so I think there's a couple of things that we need to do. We need to depend on him. It's really, that's what it comes down to. We need to depend on him. Without God, we have nothing. Our daily portion, everything we have been giving, our opportunities, our gifts, our abilities, our physical and spiritual needs, all of these things come from him. Without him, we have nothing. He is the giver of all things. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Romans 11.36 says, for him, or for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Psalm 16.2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And just remember the words that Paul spoke in Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual need, every physical need that we have to, to bring him glory, to worship him, to honor him, to praise him, to serve him, all of those things are given from God. And yet we forget this so often to depend on him. And do you know how you can know that we forget 
our need to depend on him? It's like there's two ends of the spectrum to this. The first end is that we just complain about what God has given to us. Like we complain about what God has given to us like it's just not enough. Like, like God, I expect more from you. Or it's just not what I wanted, God. I was saying I needed something and, and you didn't give me what I wanted. Or we complain about what God has given us because it's not what Jack and Jill have. They have this, so I deserve at least that. We forget and we complain about what God has given to us. And then on on the other end of the spectrum, we boast. We boast about what God has given, forgetting that it could easily be taken away from us at any moment. Either way, we are forgetting the source of our provision. And we need to remember where our daily bread comes from. And remember this while we're talking about this. God doesn't give us everything we need to use however we want. God gives us everything that we need to do with it what God has asked us to do with it. And so we need to be stewards with what he gives us, with our time, with our opportunities, with our abilities, with the physical things that he has given us that we need. Look at the manna. Look at the manna. They didn't, he didn't say, hey, go out there and just take all the manna you want and everything will be just great. He told them to take what they needed. And if they didn't take just what they needed and they took more, well, there was consequences for that. We need to make sure that we are depending on him each and every day. And there's another thing that we need to remember is that there are no other gods but the Lord our God. We talked about this a little bit the last couple of weeks, but there's this reminder that we see in Deuteronomy over and over again that there is one God. There is one true God, one true God. But the thing is, there are several false gods and there are several idols. And a lot of times we find ourselves forgetting the Lord our God and turning to false gods and false idols when we forget about what God has done for us. I mean, I can just name a few. There's the God of money, this idol that we worship, right? Like if I just make enough money, then life will be good and I'll have everything that I need. There's the God of self. I can make it through the storms of life on my own. I don't need anybody. I'm strong enough. I'm powerful enough. I'm headstrong enough that I can be good. There's the God of success. Oh, if I'm successful, look at all the things I have with it, power, control. That's what I need, success. And there's many others besides these. You could probably rattle off two or three or four. And here's the thing. When we choose to put our faith in those things, don't be surprised when they, come, or when they don't come through, when they fall short. Don't be surprised when you think that money is going to provide for you everything and you still end up feeling like something's missing. And here's the thing we really need to remember. When we choose to put our faith in false idols and false gods, we lose. We lose out when we turn our eyes to other things. Listen to Jonah 2.8. It says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. 
I don't know about you, I don't want to lose that. Money, self, success, those things don't bring with it steadfast love. But the one true God does, the Lord our God. And so instead of putting our hope and faith in other things, we can choose to put our hope and faith in the one true God. We need to remember the Lord our God. We need to depend on the Lord our God. This text reminds me how faithful, how good he is to us, even when we don't deserve it. And he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our praise, whether it's a good time or bad. He is worthy of our praise and thanks, and we need to lean on him and depend on him. And guess what? Sometimes there will be discipline, and discipline is not going to be fun. Sometimes discipline is going to be tough, and it is going to be more than we can bear or more than we can stand, or at least so we think, and it's going to be hard. But it will be for our good, for our benefit, And we know he does this because he loves us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And how do we know? How do we know he actually loves us? Well, because apart from discipline, we know he loves us because he saw our greatest need. He saw the need we had for reconciliation to him. He saw the need that we had for atonement. He saw the need we had for redemption. He saw all of our sins, our brokenness. And he saw our need for a savior. He saw our need for all of these things. And he brought those things through his son. John 3.16, it says it so clearly, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And guess what? It is by blood that was shed that we can have this eternal life. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight. It was by his blood that was shed on the cross that we can be forgiven. We have redemption through his blood. That's how you know he loves you. And so when he disciplines, when he helps correct our path, when he wants us to remember to depend on him and rely on him, it's because he loves us. And you can know he loves you because of what he has done for you, sending his son to take your place. And so if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to him, stop waiting. Stop waiting. And if you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, I've just forgotten I find myself so often forgetting about what the Lord has done for me. I have spent so much time depending on other things rather than depending on Him. And the spiritual condition of my heart is not always set where it needs to be. And if that's you, this morning you can spend some time in prayer. If you've never made a decision to follow him this morning, you can do so. You can give your life to him this morning. You can come and talk with me or write it on the Connect cards. I'd love to talk with you. And right where you're sitting this morning, you can pray and you can give all those things to God and lay those things at his feet. 
truth is this. He disciplines us because he loves us. Because he wants something better for us. And so when we're going through the difficult or we're going through a time where it feels like things are great, either way, we need to depend on him. We need to praise him. We need to give him thanks. We need to give him glory because we know that all things come through him and without him, we have nothing. And that should make us want to praise him each and every day. If you have a decision to make this morning, I pray that you would do so as we stand and we sing together.